Las Madres was my attempt to show how a person lives without a history. I feel like I actually am more convinced by the arguments I made after rereading it. It revealed the truth of the topic to me so much more. I do not have any sort of theater background, but I remember school plays. I always raised my hand and asked to be the narrator. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet award-winning, best-selling author Esmeralda Santiago, professor of Shakespeare studies at King's College London, Farah Karim Cooper, and the first woman to win the Thurber Prize, Julie Schumacher. Tune in to hear how Farah Karim Cooper became empowered through recording her audiobook. Julie Schumacher intentionally included the point of views of undergraduates in her novel, and how the fear of losing history inspired Esmeralda Santiago. Enjoy! Hi, this is Esmeralda Santiago, author of Las Madres, a novel. I was inspired to write Las Madres because I wanted to write about memory. As we get older, sometimes we begin to look back on our lives and the lives of the people that are around us and the people that we love and the people who have been a part of that journey. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized how much of my history I didn't know. And I wondered what it would be like to write about someone who didn't have any history and how that concern, and in the case of Luz, that disability, how it affected their lives. I focus a lot on memory in my writing. I have written three memoirs. But the whole idea of being Puerto Rican without a memory was something that I just really wanted to explore in many ways also to make a statement about us Puerto Ricanos, how terrible it is to forget your history. So Las Madres was my attempt to both show how a person lives without a history while others around them are living theirs. To record was emotional because I had to relive a lot of experiences that were very familiar to me. And some of it really hurt. And some of it actually was joyful, the joy of these women who love each other so much and laugh and hug one another and are friends. So it was really a roller coaster for me going from all the sadnesses, all the joys, all the questions, all the secrets. It really worked on me. I realized I had trouble pronouncing French and German, languages I do not speak, when Luz came to me and her parents as people who spoke languages I didn't speak, I was terrified, but I had to go with it. And so I did. But, oh boy, for those of you who are French and German speakers, I apologize if I mispronounce your language. I guess my favorite section to record was the little discussion between 
Luz and Graciela, their little sniping at one another. I kind of enjoyed doing that because I am one of six sisters, and I know we do that to each other. I prepared for the audiobook recording by not speaking to anyone for the day before, and every day after the recording sessions, I would go home very quietly have some tea, have my meal, and don't speak until the next day. It was hard for my husband, but I had to do that because you really do need to rest up your voice. If I didn't read my own books, I really have to think about a Puerto Rican who speaks both languages and has some knowledge of French and German, but an actor who has all the techniques an actor brings to a recording. I did my best, (laughs) but I was very, very aware how difficult this work is, and I really, really respect them for it. The last audiobook that I loved and enjoyed very, very much was a book I had read several times in English, Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, And I had read it in Spanish, but I had never listened to it. So I have been listening to it when I'm driving around doing my errands. And sometimes I just have to stop, pull over, and just continue (laughs) listening to a story that I know very well. But I really love this book, and I've enjoyed the narration very, very much. I listen to audiobooks when I cook, when I'm dusting my office, (laughs) when I'm walking, when I drive. I pretty much listen to audiobooks all the time that I can because it does allow me to learn more as I'm doing other things. I'm one of these people who does more than one thing at a time, and that's one of the things that I really love to do is just listen to, you know, mostly nonfiction when I'm running around, fiction when I can relax, and take notes. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook, Las Madres. After Luz Peña Fuentes settled in the United States, the accent mark over the N in Peña was left out in English. In Spanish, her full name means Light Rock Fountains, but without the tilde, Pena Fuentes means sorrow fountains, or penalty fountains, or pity fountains, or shame fountains. Hi, this is Farah Kareem Cooper, author of The Great White Bard, How to Love Shakespeare While Talking About Race. I wrote my book because I wanted to tell the story of how racial formation and race, in terms of what we know race to mean, is related to Shakespeare, his world, his construction as the Great White Bard, and his plays. I was inspired by a question asked of me during the 2018 Shakespeare and Race Festival that I organized at Shakespeare's Globe. A member of the public approached me and asked, what does Shakespeare have to do with race? That was a very, very big question, and I thought it was pretty obvious. So that's really what inspired me to write this book. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, 
that word would be revelatory. I think it's because it made me look back at my work and reread my book so scrupulously. I think more scrupulously than I did when I was proofreading it because I wanted to make sure that I was pronouncing everything correctly and that I had the sentence constructions right and that my arguments were coming across really clearly. So I feel like I actually am more convinced by the arguments I made after rereading it. It revealed the truth of the topic to me so much more than just reading it silently to myself. I realized I had trouble pronouncing a lot of words. Partly it's because I'm American and I've lived in Britain for 27 years. And so my accent and my pronunciations kind of oscillate between the two. Also, I have a sort of theory that growing up in a household where English is a second language, that some words were just unfamiliar to me. I had a lot of trouble pronouncing Latin words because I didn't study Latin in school or university. And there were certain words like simultaneously, which I've always pronounced as simultaneously, which is kind of funny. I'm proud that I was able to read the book ahead of schedule. I thought that I would stumble a lot more than I did, and so I feel really proud that I was able to kind of, for the most part, stay consistent in my voice and my tone. I'm really excited for listeners to hear Adjoa Ando doing the quotes, and I'm really excited to hear myself, how Adjoa's voice kind of comes in at really important moments of the text and how my voice will sound in juxtaposition with hers. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Adjoa Ando, actually. And I remember having a conversation with her a while ago, and she said, if you ever do an audiobook, I'd love to be the one to read it. And very fortunately, she agreed to read the Shakespeare quotes. The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was Ultra Processed People by Chris Van Tulliken. I love it because I've recently really gotten into trying to eat more healthy as I get older. So I've been looking at different kinds of diets and things like that. And obviously, dieting is not a good thing. And I hadn't quite realized how many ultra-processed foods actually sneak into your diet that you actually think is healthy. So his book has been a really great revelation. And I also really like the way he reads it. He's really funny. And there's so much of his personality and his passion for the topic. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is in my car or on the train. There's something about being on a train where I see a lot of people reading, and nowadays I see a lot of people looking at their phone. But if I just pop my headphones in, I can hear books about a wide range of topics that have nothing to do with the field that I'm researching. I'm an academic, so I have to read lots of books about Shakespeare and his world and theater and lots of theory. So I don't want to read when I'm sitting on a train. And it does give me the opportunity to venture into a lot of other topics. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. Cultural nostalgia is sometimes conflated with a love of the past. It is this sentiment that fueled the success of Shakespeare's Globe after its opening in 1997. People gathered in the yard under the open sky to watch actors dance an authentic Elizabethan jig in fantastically elaborate and painstakingly accurate costumes stitched by hand. This kind of staging of Shakespeare was unique and radical, 
because no other theaters were recreating the aesthetics of Renaissance performance in a working theater in such detail. Hi, this is Julie Schumacher, author of The English Experience. I wrote The English Experience because, having written two novels about Jason Fitker, Dear Committee Members and The Shakespeare Requirement, I was unable to let go of him. He is, in some ways, a very disagreeable person. He can be obnoxious. He is no diplomatic speaker. And you wouldn't necessarily want him to write you a letter of recommendation. But I feel that he cares deeply about things that matter enormously to me. And I love putting him in situations where (laughs) his foibles become very visible. And I hope some good fun to the reader. There were a number of words that I had trouble with and I needed some help with. It's a strange thing to write a book that includes 20, 25 or more words that you've often seen written or that you write yourself, but realize you never speak aloud and pronounce. And I did struggle over some of the vocabulary that belongs to some of the more unusual students. There's a student who loves horror. He writes about wyverns at one point, a word that I wasn't even familiar with until I found it in my thesaurus. There are things in the British Museum while visiting London that my students come across. And I had happily a wonderful coach on audio who was helping me to figure out how to pronounce many, many words. I'm excited for listeners to get to know all the different students in this novel. Jason Fitker has dominated the first of these three books, Dear Committee Members. His voice was overwhelmingly predominant in that first volume. In the second, The Shakespeare Requirement, readers got to get to know some of the faculty that Jason Fitker regularly interacts with. And in this third and final volume, I wanted to really showcase undergraduate characters. So many academic satires and novels about academe concentrate on faculty, on this sort of absurdity of the bureaucratic process, the administration. And most of what we do involves undergraduates, and so I wanted them to have a large voice. There are 11 students who Fitker takes to London, London being a place he detests, and the charm that they work (laughs) while interacting with one another is something that I hope listeners will very much respond to. In preparing to record the audiobook, I did practice. I do not have any sort of theater background But looking back at my K through 12 years and my college years, I remember school plays, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, et cetera. We always put on a school production. And I always raised my hand and asked to be the narrator, which no one else wanted. But I didn't want physically to be in front of someone wondering what to do with my arms and my legs. I wanted to have a microphone in my hand and use my voice 
in college, in fact, I once was the angel of death in a play. <laughs> and that involved my standing inside of a black cardboard box so that I never had to be seen and used my voice. So I suppose that's a, a very deep background preparation for audiobook recording. If I had to record again, one thing I would bring into the studio would be several Granny Smith apples. I learned that when one's voice gets scratchy or difficult to listen to clearly, the best remedy is a Granny Smith apple. Apparently Skittles also work, so those who are thinking of working on audiobooks or working in any sort of audio give either of those possible remedies a try. My dream narrator, if I hadn't read the novel myself for this audio production, I guess if we could go living or dead, Jane Austen would be wonderful. Her dialogue is so crisp and so dryly funny. I would love to hear what she sounded like when she read her dialogue aloud and how she thought about her characters. Otherwise, my living choice or more contemporary choice, Christina Pickles. I had a story once performed at Symphony Space Selected Shorts, and I had read that story aloud in front of an audience and got a few polite chuckles. But when Christina Pickles performed it, people were roaring, and I thought, oh, this is what a real actor does and is. So that would be a lovely fantasy as well. The last audiobook I listened to and loved was The Girl's Guide to Hunting and Fishing by Melissa Bank. Melissa Bank was a good friend of mine who died almost a year ago, and she read her own collection, The Girl's Guide to Hunting and Fishing, and her voice is just exquisite. It is just pitch perfect. Something about the tone was really inspiring to me as well as comforting, you know, to be able to hear the voice of someone you cared about who is gone and you can still hear them, not just their voice, but hear that voice reading something that she labored over and took great care with and loved. So that was a wonderful thing to be able to access. My favorite place to listen to an audiobook, definitely the car. I don't have any daily long drives, but that would be my preferred way to listen to a novel, to take a cross-country trip. I used to get audiobooks out of the library when I did a long drive and just lose myself, often forgetting about exits I was supposed to be <laughs> paying attention to. Once I ended up in Iowa, when I was supposed to be in Rochester, Minnesota, I had driven too far south while listening to something or another. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. Jason Fitker, chair of the Department of English at Payne University, found himself summoned in mid-December to the office of the new provost. The job of provosts was to create and then disseminate bad news so he expected her to announce a new punitive measure to be inflicted on his academic unit, which had scarcely survived the crises of the previous years. Instead, 
After arranging her features into a facsimile of cordial goodwill, she claimed to be presenting him with an opportunity truly a plum. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind the mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com/nextlisten.